0: Hello and welcome to Where R.A. Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former R.A.s and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I am tonight's co-host, a junior in CAS from Queens, New York, studying East Asian studies and history and an R.A. in Coral Tower, David Zarrowin.
1: And I'm Tom Ellett. I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs and am David's co-host. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Now, you're a busy guy. You're involved as a fencer. Tell me I a try. little bit about fencing. Because I'm Charlie still learning that whole thing.
0: <laughs> so there are a lot of cool rules and regulations, but actually I'm looking forward to next month. We're traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina for a national competition
1: very cool so what got you into doing fencing
0: oh it started in fifth grade i met my head coach he came by my middle school and he said i think you should continue doing this and i haven't looked back
1: that's great and so you have an upper class area where you're an ra coral yep what's it like uh, you know you were an ra you were a student as a resident and then you were you know second year you're in an upper class building a little different than a first year experience being an RA in upper class building.
0: Yeah, I had already been working with freshmen as a college leader in CAS, and I wanted to kind of continue my professional development by working with upperclassmen. I think it's been so rewarding getting to see their experience because the true experience is very different from Fire, and I recognize that. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be in Coral.
1: It's been a good experience in Coral. With Incredible
0: your team? experience, first semester. I love it.
1: And you're also involved in RA council.
0: I am indeed. I am the Secretary of RA Council. So I get to see you every week. You're so
1: (laughs) thorough. You're so good. Aren't you sick of me already? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. So do we have a good guest tonight?
0: Oh, we have a fantastic guest tonight. Today our guest is Mr. Joe Azam, who served as an RA in Goddard between 2000 and 2003 for Anna Schmidt, and then as a GA in Coral Tower between 2003 and 2005. Thanks for being here, Joe. It's a real pleasure having you today. No problem, happy to be here.
1: Joe, it's been a long time. Tell us a little bit about the journey after leaving NYU.
2: Yeah, so I was there undergrad and grad school and I left in 05 to go to law school in California at UC Hastings. So I did that a couple of years and I kind of started on my on my path so I'm practicing lawyer now. And you know, when I was at NYU during my grad years, I got really into studying corruption and and sort of the impact of corruption on on democracy and on communities and so i actually ended up practicing in an area close to that so i'm an anti-corruption lawyer started doing white collar criminal defense work internal investigations and then anti bribery anti-corruption work and i've done that you know at a leading international firm in new york i've been in-house at a bunch of places you recognize including like oracle and hsbc news corp and currently the chief compliance officer at a company called Infor, which is a a private software company that's sort of up and
1: coming. And you left the East Coast to go to the wrong coast. (laughs) How did that
2: happen? I've left and I've come back. You know, I'm bi-coastal at this point because I left NYU to, to go to Hastings. I worked my summers in New York, had my first year in D.C., then I moved to New York for a couple of years, then moved to California for another couple of years. Then my wife decided to go back to school at Columbia. So, you know, not not NYU, which I gave her a hard time for. Really? Uh, <laughs> so we came back to New York for, for five years, and then we just moved back six months ago. So, uh, you know, who knows what we'll be in two years.
0: That's amazing, Joe. Um, but let's just jump back to your time uh, at the Washington Square campus. So what did you study while you were at NYU?
2: So undergrad, I was a philosophy and politics major and I had a Middle Eastern Studies minor, but I spent most of my time trying to like load up on philosophy classes because I, you know, like writing papers for whatever reason and I hated taking exams. So so that's what I did when I was there.
1: What were you involved in extracurricularly outside of the RA position?
2: I wrote for the Washington Square News here and there, you know, griping about things and covering all kinds of news stories.
1: I hope I wasn't one of the things you covered. No,
2: okay. no, no, no. I, I was too, I was too interested in trying to get a job with you, Tom. So I would okay. never be a <laughs> cool. smart
1: man. Good
2: answer. Yeah. And then really like that after I got into res life which is what we called it back then, uh, that became my passion. And, and, you know, I was involved in all kinds of things from, you know, onboarding and training and interviewing and, you know development and all that stuff that i did
0: so when did you want to become an ra was this like early on freshman year was this after you already been nyu for a little time
2: yeah pretty early on so i actually transferred to nyu for my first year and so community was really important to me as a transfer student and so i you know i had my first ra was actually abroad nyu in, in Buenos Aires which i don't even know if it exists anymore and he was great right he was really great about developing community he became a good friend of mine and I came back and I'm like, oh, I wanna be a part of that. And so I started looking into that. Um, I lived in Goddard as a resident, right? When I came back from being abroad, had an OKRA, not super, not terrible, but that also was helpful in sort of getting me to think about like what I'd wanna do. So I went for it and, you know, it was very competitive. I, I'm proud to say that I was actually waitlisted, but hustled my way into a job and then never looked back.
0: That idea of community, you know, as our is so important to all of us, cause we really want to establish a solid community with our residents. So what kind of relationships did you have and form with your residents?
2: Just to set the context, right? I mean, when I was a sophomore or junior really, it was like post 9-11, right? So during those times, RAs were really, really critical. And then when I became an RA and when I was a GA, we had some really tragic on-campus incidents as well. So throughout my sort of journey there, the idea of being sort of the glue was very important. And so I had a hall full of freshmen, mostly women, which was actually interesting because it was a unique thing for my floor. And so I had to, you know, think about how do how do I connect with them? You know, being three years older and obviously you know, having different interests. And we kind of came up with the idea of a community three, which sounds kind of corny, but people bought into it. And we had open doors. We spent a lot of time together, sort of eating socializing and i try to kind of come up with interesting different things to do in new york for them aside from the general you know let's feed you and give you entertainment to get them to kind of get to know the city a little bit more and also sort of trust themselves which i think was important given that you know a lot of them were freshmen that had never been in new york before
1: you're talking about how you engage with community what role did dialogue play in it and how, if so now, does dialogue play a role in community for you?
2: Dialogue was critical, particularly in that setting where you know it's close quarters, high stress, high hormones, sometimes high tension. And so kind of staying in conversation with people was a lot of what I encourage people to do to resolve conflicts in a way that didn't involve me, right? So for my residents, our kind of agreement was like, here are the really critical policies, right? So if you violate them, I'm going to have to do something about it. And then here's a bunch of stuff that's just quality of life stuff that I actually prefer that you navigate on your own. And the way you could navigate that is through conversation. And trust me, it's better when you're talking to each other than you know having me get involved. I kind of do that now. <laughs> so a big part of my job is working with people outside of legal, outside of compliance, getting them to sort of solve pretty complex business problems, but really getting them to understand that, look, like I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and I also don't know your business as well as you do so you know if you can kind of figure out how to talk through these things on your own and then come to me for like you know the really complex stuff or the stuff that you need legal advice on it's better for everybody but you ultimately have to own it yourselves it's kind of two sides of the same coin if you kind of look look ahead 15 years but some of that skill of encouraging conversation Mm -hmm. trying to de-escalate things and getting people to sort of stay committed right to resolving things regardless of how tense or heated they get is sort of a a common thread.
0: I'm sure that learning how to have proper dialogues has been incredibly useful. Are there any other skills that you've carried on into your role today that you gained from the RA and GA positions?
2: Yeah, so a big part of my job actually is training. So I develop training. I deliver training on anti-corruption, on internal investigations, on how to not break the law across the world, right? So I've done it in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia soon. And um, so sort of communicating and training is, is, is kind of one bucket. And I know those are two different things, but that's the biggest piece. And then the other piece actually is, you know, as an RA, sometimes you have to look into things, right, and piece together what happened, right, and work with, you know, your manager and your colleagues to kind of investigate things. And that's actually a big part of my job. Now, luckily, I didn't have any investigations at NYU. But, you know, fact gathering, that kind of stuff, like, it's funny, like, I did that as an RA. And I do that every day for work. And some of that skill, including discretion and judgment, like all that stuff, I think started back then.
1: So what got you to choose to do work in the field that you started with in terms of this investigation and, and, and looking at really finding justice, right? That's what it sounds like. You know, you wanted to do the right thing.
2: Yeah, doing the right thing is actually a big part of it, Tom. So I went to law school wanting to be like a human rights lawyer, international lawyer, and I got there and I'm like, okay, well, you know, international law is like a thing, but it's not like being an international lawyer is not a thing. But I still, you know, had a strong interest in kind of finding a way to do that. But to be honest, I had a ton of debt. Right. Remember, I went to NYU uh, and I also went to to law school. So I wanted to work in the private sector and I I wanted to work with companies to help them be better corporate citizens. And this is one of the ways I could do it. So it is really big on finding justice. It's big on finding truth. Right. Getting to the bottom of things and then sort of inspiring people to think about the fact that, like, we have sort of a common sense of decency. Like, what's the right thing to do? Right. And having that conversation with people and companies across the world is really fascinating. Because by and large, like, no matter what language they speak, you can get them to understand what you're trying to say, right? And I can't say that for a lot of areas of law or practice.
1: That's tough stuff to get people on the same page. And and especially when you're talking about worldwide, values may change, cultures are different. How have you navigated that international space?
2: Yeah, it's I have a joke, Tom. I use humor. So I was born in Afghanistan, right, which is sort of notoriously one of the most corrupt countries in the world. So a lot of times when I'm in places like Nigeria or you know somewhere in Eastern Europe, countries that have reputations for corruption, I say, look, you know, you might think I'm just some, some American guy from California or New York, but I should tell you I'm actually an Afghan here to talk to you about corruption. So, you know, I want you to understand that I understand that context as well. And one, people don't believe me, right? They're like, no, you're not. But when I get them to believe me, they start to understand that my view is not American-centric or Eurocentric. It really is global. And I, setting that level with them helps, I think, get them to understand where I'm coming from.
0: So just continuing with that, did working as an RANGA at NYU, which is a global university, you know, being around students from everywhere... Did that help you develop that mindset or be able rather to express that mindset?
2: Yeah, both in terms of the staffs that I was on, which were really diverse and interesting, but also our student population. I think I was exposed to people who were definitely, you know, of different faiths, of different ethnicities, of different national origins. And I had to work with them as colleagues. I had to engage with them as residents and deal with them in the class, right? And so that really helped me. And that's kind of what's great about NYU is it reflects that part of New York City, right? And so insofar as New York City can educate you as much as university, I think it did in the very same way, right? You can't help but have those conversations. You can't help but develop that muscle memory because it's part of your everyday life.
1: We have a lot of students who want to be lawyers at NYU, What advice do you have for them as they get through the LSATs and prepare for going to law school and the career? Like you said, you're juggling costs of attendance. You're juggling family commitments. You're juggling... Is this the right thing for me to do? Are there gonna be jobs in the legal field for me?
2: I'm very optimistic on all that stuff, right? I mean, I've kind of been a scrappy person my whole life, right? I, mean, I get Transferred into NYU, like yeah, I've gotten waitlisted at basically everything I've ever wanted to do, and that's okay. And and so that's developed in me this like really, really deep optimism. So of course there are gonna be jobs, right? There's gonna be interesting work. I think the hard part is kind of figuring out whether or not you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Do you care enough to do this for five, 10 20 years, are you doing it because you know you think it's the right thing to do or maybe you don't think you can do anything else right? If you're in the latter category, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying you know think pretty hard about it. But if you're not in that category, you know, I, I think that the two biggest things for me have been sort of resilience because whether you're at the top of your class, in the middle or the bottom, like you're gonna have someone say say no to you, right? That's happened to me my whole career. So how do you get past that? And it could be that you know your top 10 schools say no to you, How do you pass that? And then two is really kind of be mindful of your reputation. And I think anybody who ends up going to law school, if they have a good professor on their first day, that's the first thing to tell you, right? Is like your most valuable commodity as a lawyer is your reputation and your word. And that kind of starts in law school. I have plenty of people who I went to law school with who I'm in touch with, but I would not give business to or work with. And that's because 10 years ago we had an interaction where I was like, I don't know if I can count that person. And so now they're a partner at a big firm and they're trying to get business for me. And I respond to their emails, but in the back of my head, I'm like, unless I really, really have to go with you, you know, I'm not going to. So the reputational stuff really matters. And I think some people wait until sort of they start working to pay attention to that. But my big advice is, if you haven't already started, to start before you start law school.
1: A follow-up question on the whole area of resiliency. So as you kind of reflect on your own journey, is there a moment or is there something in the DNA or is there something you practice that gives you this resiliency? Because I look at college students today and all of the things that are facing them, and it's really one of the things, skills that we want to develop most in students, that they have to find the wherewithal within themselves To make it through that day, make it through that class, make it through that next challenge they have.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I thought about this a lot, Tom, and wish we had more time because I can give you a dozen examples of ways in which I failed. A couple dozen examples. And I think the one thing that I've learned from other people is the first step is being okay with failing and not having sort of shame or doubt or even slowing down when you fail, because failing can actually be a really healthy thing. And once you do that, I think, and you think about what failure means, right, which means like try again, it kind of becomes the standard thing to do, which is to keep knocking on a different door or, you know, get your job the way I did, which was like through guerrilla warfare, right? I camped out outside of interviews basically for an entire day until like, and that's not because I don't think I could have gotten it another way, but there are a finite number of opportunities and probably an infinite number of really interesting people in the world. And so kind of being a little bit um, unorthodox in your approach sometimes helps too.
0: I have to say that as a current NYU student, you know, I mirror a lot of the feelings that Tom expressed, and I really appreciate the advice that you're giving us because, you know, this is a different landscape than it was five years ago, of course, 10. I'm actually just very curious. So thus far in your career, what would you say has been the proudest moment?
2: You know, it, it has nothing to do with my job. I was actually involved in a book project that I think I was able to do because of, you know, my work as a lawyer. And it was sort of a, a book of refugee stories that this Pulitzer Prize winning author, Viet Nguyen, had put together. And I, I got to work on this book and I had an essay in this book with all these amazing people. And I think one of the reasons I was able to do that is sort of the writing and the skill I've developed as a lawyer. But having that book come out and sort of going to BookCon in New York at Javits and talking about this book about refugees... As a refugee myself, it's actually been the proudest moment of the last 10 years of my life. And it's related a little bit to my work, but it wasn't as a result of being a lawyer, right? My lawyer stuff's like, great. Yeah, I got a great job. I did this. I did that. But honestly, like it's the stuff that it's afforded me to do outside that that's been most valuable for me.
1: We need to know the name of the book.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. The book is called The Displaced and it's edited by Viet Nguyen. It was actually named by the Star Tribune. as like one of the top 10 books to read this year or something. So it's it's gotten a lot of accolades and it's kind of the, the biggest thing for me in the last couple of years.
1: Well, it will be on my uh, read list. That is for darn sure. I must
0: add it to my Goodreads, Tom. <laughs> it's on there. That's amazing.
1: Favorite part of the world that, you, that you've explored? Because you, you're really a Renaissance guy who's really kind of stepped on lots of places around the world.
2: I think it depends on what you're talking about, right? Like, what's the most beautiful place you've been to? Uh, I went to the Maldives, which are unfortunately slowly going underwater, right? And that's just a stunning Place, But in terms of energy and like the place where I'm like, God, like I'm so fortunate, I'm so grateful to be here is when I was in South Africa. I've, I've spent a lot of time in Africa for work investigating, but training and doing kind of like preventative work. And I spent time in Nigeria and Kenya in South Africa. And the first time I set foot on that continent of Africa, I was in South Africa. And I will never forget sort of the feeling I had because I'd never thought I would end up there. And it opened up an entire world for me, really. And I, and I think it kind of like helped demystify a part of the world that I never really understood because i read about it in newspapers and history books. And for a lot of historical reasons, it hasn't been written about in the way in which it exists, if that makes sense. So that was like my, my favorite place that I've been to, particularly on that first trip.
1: Wow. There. Yeah, I agree.
0: Shifting gears just a little bit, do you still stay in contact with any other RA alums? and if so, whom?
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So, uh, so I, I do keep in touch with people like Tom, Anna, who I worked with, who I think is just like just a gem of a person, CM, Catherine Mary, who I work with, you know, we're in touch on Facebook. But more interestingly, perhaps, I, I became really good friends with someone when I was at NYU. And for years later, we were very close friends. And then years later, we started to date. And now we're married, and we have a daughter together. So I actually ended up marrying someone who was an NYU RA. She was on my staff at Coral Towers for one year, but we were like good friends by that point anyway. You know, stayed friends for years later. And so I actually see a former NYU RA every day.
1: Can you tell us her name? Because I feel like we want to give this shout out to her, right?
2: (laughs) Shout out to Jenny Pierce. Jenny Pierce, as I am now who worked at uh, 2nd Street and then Coral Towers when she was there. And like I said, we became friends outside of the the RA context, right? Before she was an RA, before I was an RA. But as luck would have it, she was on my staff for a year at Coral. And then after I left, we we continued to stay really close friends. And and then over the years, after many, many moves, things kind of lined up six, seven years ago.
1: The way they should be. That's great news. Let's jump to speed rounds. This is a chance for you to give us one or two word or a little bit of uh, information So we'll start off with David.
0: Favorite tradition at NYU.
2: My favorite tradition at NYU. Oh, my God. You know what? I have to say, and I'm embarrassed to say this, that I don't actually remember having NYU traditions aside from the graduation, you know, fountain craziness that I don't know if still happens or not. So that was my favorite moment, like in terms of tradition at NYU was, you know, in the park, in the fountain.
1: Best dining hall.
2: So my information may be really out of date. But I will say that when I was there, Palladium was like the spot because it was brand new. But I still remember Reuben Breakfast
1: being the best
2: back then, especially on the weekends.
1: There are classrooms now. Ah, there
0: you go. <laughs> but I will tell you that Palladium is still the spot for many students. <laughs> Perfect. Especially as an athlete. Um, best place in New York City to hang out?
2: When I come to New York now for work, I end up back in the West Village somewhere near the Hudson River. So pick a street. I lived on Perry Street for a while, so it's still one of my favorite spots. So I think West Village, Granite Village, Little Nooks and Crannies will always be some of the best places in New York to be.
1: A teacher that you remember quite well.
2: This one's easy. So my my, uh, high school journalism teacher, Chris Evans, who I'm still in touch with, is sort of my most impactful, memorable teacher. And partly it's because I really loved what she did, right? So I I loved writing and she sort of saw in me a little bit more potential than say my math teacher who thought that maybe I had some hearing problems.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Big question before we, we end is, what would you encourage our students to read, to listen to podcasts? You know, what kind of information do they need to hear? What would you recommend?
2: That's a great question. I think in the past I would have given you some books or, um, and right now I would say read The Displaced, but I, I think actually the news is really critical. I mean, I, I've never subscribed to newspapers before. In the past, I always like kind of you know, get stuck around the firewall or catch it online or get summaries or whatever. I've subscribed to The Times, the, the Washington Post, and I pick up some international newspapers. And I think just reading the news and staying on top of everything is really critical, at least in my view, and particularly finding sources that you find are credible and are going to kind of give you facts. Now with the way information is conveyed and, and the way it's altered in certain places, I think it's really critical to stay on top of the news. And that's actually what I read the most of now, which is not a bad or good thing, but it's just a shift.
0: Good, Yeah. And to engage in those dialogues that we talked about before, you know, it's critical to have proper Absolutely. facts. Absolutely. Just to wrap up the speed round, what was your most memorable RA or GA experience?
2: I, th- I think this is real. So I'm going to just say it. I-, I think, you know, when I was GA, there were a number of student deaths on campus that year. It was a very difficult time, but I also, I saw such strength in the entire NYU RA staff and GA staff, right? I mean, Tom's probably in those meetings with John Saxton at the time and others, and that was actually as difficult as those times were. That was some of the most heartening time I spent at NYU, because you sort of saw these really young people step up, you know, hold each other, hold their colleagues, and sometimes hold their managers and try to get through a very difficult time. So for all the fun things we did and crazy, you know, I was on like toll Request Live with my residents, did all kinds of fun stuff. The most memorable experience I have was just that very difficult time because I think it really drove home the quality of the people that, that Tom and others had figured out how to get together. And it was sort of the ultimate test of their mettle. So being a part of that, I think, really stuck with me.
1: And we are blessed to have you, truly. I, I think the kind of commitment you brought and role modeling for your peers, I, I think it really differentiated you from others, but also showed your commitment. We really appreciate that.
0: Yes, we do. Of and Joe, thank you so much for spending time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the dream school alumni version
1: life. Joe, what a what a stand-up guy you are! I really do appreciate the time. Congratulations on being a dad and Thanks. marrying an RA. I married an RA too, uh, from my um, alma mater as well. So <laughs> I
2: mean, I think I think it's a strong and and I'll and I'll finish by saying that you know. Find me on LinkedIn. Find me on Twitter. Like NYU is my family, especially folks who are RAs and GAs. So whatever I can do to help anybody, like I'm down to do it. So just find me.
1: And he means it too. Special thanks to uh, my engineer, Juliana Fonseco-Alesso, and to the current professional staff and the alums like Anna Schmidt and Catherine Mary Verling, who assisted these great RAs and GAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like today's show, look for more content on the website. And if you want to know more about the RA's favorite books, go to whatthey'rereading.blogspot.com. Joe, I'll be reading your book, and I'll be putting my thoughts about it on the website in a couple of weeks. Until next time, Joe and others, think about how you can make a difference in the world with every interaction you are blessed to have. Have a good day, everybody.